Well, good morning. Good morning. Great to have you with us this morning. Like Tilly said, if, if you're new, if it's your first time, a special welcome to you. Great to have you with us uh, this morning. And uh, this morning we are in the book of John. We're continuing our series in John. This is our, what we're calling our third season, our second week of the third season. So we're in John chapter 5. And we're going to read from uh, verses 16 to 47 in a moment. And I've got Jesse and Hannah up here, and they're going to read the scripture for us. So it's going to be on the screen behind them. If you've got your Bible app or your paper Bibles in front of you, uh, you might want to read along as well. So John chapter 5, verses 16 to 47. Jesse, take it away. Therefore the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Jesus responded to them, My father is still working, and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he, he is doing, and he will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed and just as the father raises the dead and gives them life so the son also gives life to whom he wants. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Anyone who does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly I tell you... A hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the Son to have life in himself. And he has granted him the right to pass for judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him, of him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies about me, and I know that the testimony he gives about me is true. He sent messages to John, and he testified to the truth. 
I don't receive human testimony, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. These very works I am doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. You have not heard his voice at any time and you haven't seen his form. You don't have his word residing in you because you don't believe the one he sent. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them and yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. I do not accept glory from people, but I know you that you have no love for God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and yet you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but you don't seek for glory that comes from the only God? Do you think that I will accuse you to the Father? Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe what is wrote, how will you believe my words? Thank you, guys. Fantastic. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning, and we thank you that it's able to teach us, encourage us, and challenge us, and we pray that it would do those things this morning. We pray that you would help us to hear your voice, and uh, God, that you would encourage our time together. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, as we look at John chapter 5, um, I want to start by telling a little bit of a story, and I'm going to ask, there's more people coming on stage now, I'm getting just a selection. Jason and Kirill are going to come up. I don't know who wants to do this talking out of you guys. <laughs> Jason, a man in many words. So... For those who don't know Jason Kirley, um, they've got a bit of a, I mean, everyone's got a bit of a story and a testimony, but we especially told a bit of your story, uh, was it about 18 months ago, two years ago? Yeah. So can you give us a little 30-second recap of what that story is? 30 seconds, all right. <laughs> um, okay, the 30-second version is that uh, we've been married for nearly 11 years now and we always wanted a family. Um, and for seven and a half years, we were not able to fall pregnant. Um, we had seen a number of people. Some of those people told us very heartbreaking things that we would never be able to have a child. Um, and for many years, we believed them. Um, but we kept praying, and lots of people kept praying for us, including many people in this room. So we know how the story ends. We um, saw a different doctor who was able to assist us on a journey that we didn't think we would take. And we have Grace, who is now almost 18 months old and just a walking miracle in herself. Yeah. So, and you had doctors say... Don't Never. Bother, don't try. Don't even bother. Yeah, don't get your hopes up. It's not going to ever happen for you. Yeah. And so you got a miracle, an unexpected miracle in Grace. Yep. But 
you've also got another unexpected miracle. What's happened? We decided early this year that we would kind of like to um, roll the dice and have another one yeah. um, with no expectation, thinking those words are now in, you know, it's like, yeah, that was, that was a long journey to get to Grace. Um, and so expecting a long journey ahead, um, we tried for a little while and didn't get anywhere and that was fine. Um, so we said, all right, we'll go back to the doctor who um, originally gave us grace. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, it was a long journey even from getting a referral to actually falling pregnant. So this could take us a very long time. Um, and saw him and thought, how long is this going to take? How many tests do you want us to go through again? What are the hurdles you want us to go through? And unexpectedly, he said, no, no, no problem. It was less than two years since I saw you last, so I'll post all the injections to you, I'll post all the referrals to you, I'll post everything to you, and you just let me know when you get started. Um, and I thought, oh, this is, this is amazing. What a miracle. Little did I know I was already pregnant. <laughs> Glory to God, right? Praise God. I didn't have to do any of it. Yeah. How good's that? Unexpected. We serve an unexpected God, a miracle-working God. And um, if you don't know Jason Kirley's story, I really encourage you to go find our Slough Baptist Church YouTube channel and look up Stories of Hope with Jason and Kirley and get the, the extended version of what... The 10-minute version. The 10-minute version of what happened with Grace. Because um, it's an amazing story, an amazing testimony of God's goodness. And, um, yeah, we're so excited for you and so happy and give glory to God for, for the miracle uh, of number two. So, awesome. Thank you so much. Praise God. We serve an unexpected God. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about that idea this morning that our God is unexpected. In so many ways, he is unexpected. And as we look through the Gospel of John, Remember, um, John is trying to tell his readers that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, and that if you put your hope in him, if you put your trust in him, you'll have eternal life. And the reason that he had to write this gospel is because it was such an unexpected move by God to send his son, Jesus, in the way that he did. That people saw Jesus and they thought, that's not God. And ultimately, that's what Jesus was killed for because he was claiming to be God. And they said, he, he can't be. He can't be God. And he's unexpected. Jesus says through this scripture and many others that I am equal with the Father. I see what my Father's doing and I do what my Father tells me to do. And so John is, and I want to read um, John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. This is, remember, the purpose of John's gospel. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The Jewish leaders, they can't handle this, um, that Jesus would be the Son of God, that Jesus would be God. Because Jesus was not who they thought he would be. The Jews expected Jesus, they expected the Messiah to come and reign from on high, to overthrow the government, to rule with power and authority in a way that they thought power and authority should be um, exercised. And so when Jesus comes and he associates himself with the poor, with sinners, with outcasts of society. Um, they thought, this is not the ruler we expected. This can't be him. And so because he is claiming to be God, we must kill him. And ultimately, that's what led to his crucifixion. 
Remember the story we heard last week. Jesus was coming to the poorest of the poor. The man by the pool of Bethsaida. And he was stuck by the pool. He couldn't get in. He didn't deserve anything. Um, He demonstrates his power. Jesus demonstrates his power through healing his man. And he does it on a Sabbath. And we talked about this as just like unexpected in so many ways, that God would do this, that he would, in one sense, violate his own laws that he's given. And so I want to look at two big ideas. We're not going to unpack every verse in this scripture, and you think, whew, that was a long scripture reading, and well done, Jesse and Hannah, for reading all that. But I want to just unpack two ideas that we see through this scripture. And the first one is this, submission, that Jesus submits to the Father, that he demonstrates that he is one with God by submitting to the Father. This is the modus operandi of Jesus, submission to the Father. Uh, So let's look at verse 19 and verse 30. In verse 19, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything of his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. Just as an aside, fathers in the room, this is true also of you and your kids, uh, whether you like it or not. Uh, There is so many statistics and stats about Children retain their faith, and so much of it is based on, um, or the, there's such a high percentage of kids retain their faith based on what the father's impact is in demonstrating faith. And so dads, myself included, there's a lot uh, that could be said for the example you set in, in your faith, in your leadership, in, your, um, in the way that you outwork your faith. Um, and mothers as well, there is statistics to show that the importance of your example um, and that kids look up and they, they sort of hear what you say, but they see what you do. They see how you live. Uh, and so if you say one thing but live another way, kids, you see through that. Uh, and they want to see the example. They follow the example. And so... Anyway, verse 30, we won't go into that too much, but let's jump into verse 30. It says, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus submits himself to the Father. And if you, um, like um, studying theology and thinking about complicated ideas. This is an interesting idea that Jesus submits to the Father because on one hand we've got uh, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit who are all equally God, one God in three persons. Um, And we don't have time to unpack what the Trinity is, but they're equally God, uh, three distinct persons. And here it's saying that Jesus submits himself to the Father. And I think what this shows us is that when we see through Scripture the idea of submission... I think in our culture, in our Western way of thinking, submission is sort of a, it's not a nice idea, it's not a nice word, but here we see Jesus, what I like to think is functionally submitting to the Father, but he's not giving up his equality with the Father. He's not giving up his sort of level pegging with the Father, but he is functionally submitting to the Father. And so when we see ideas in Scripture of like, submit to those in authority over you, it's a functional submission. It doesn't mean that they're more important. Um, it doesn't mean that they're 
or anything like that. There's just a way in which God would like us to submit to one another in different areas, in different in families, in church, in uh, in the way we submit to government, in the way we submit to our employers and teachers, and and all these sorts of ideas. That there is a a good thing for us to submit uh, to each other, and it doesn't mean that we are less than, but rather it is a functional idea. Jesus. Um, didn't submit to give up, but rather to demonstrate humility and honour. When we're asked to submit, um, it's not about giving up power, but rather being self-controlled and using power under control. I like to think of this idea of like a horse. Um, when you, I've never, I've ridden a horse a couple of times, but I, from what I understand, uh, horses, if you just went into the wild and found a wild brumby, you would not be able to just jump on its back and ride it home. Um, it would overthrow you, it would kick you off and hurt you. But horses can be trained, and you can ride a horse, and they are extremely powerful animals. Uh, and so the horse will submit to the... I mean, you, I don't know if anyone watched the Melbourne Cup. I didn't watch the Melbourne Cup, but the jockeys are typically pretty small people. Horses are pretty strong and powerful, and somehow the jockey has control, and the horses submit to the jockey. And it's not a, a, a matter of power. It's a matter of submission. Uh, And so submitting is power under control, power under control. Uh, And I think that's a way in which we see the fruits of the Spirit talked about, self-control, gentleness, is this idea that we are to have power under control and submit ourselves to those in authority. Not powerlessly, but just under control. Submission, from Jesus' point of view, is this. It's his power under control. It's his giving up of uh, his own, if you like, desire to be self, selfish and rather be selfless. And so he lays down his life. You can read Philippians 2 about this idea of humility and selflessness. And we see through Jesus' example that submission is ultimately taking up your cross. It's laying your life down for another. It's giving up your agenda, your motives, your desires for the sake of something greater. And this idea of laying your life down for another is the unexpected way of Jesus. It's what the Jewish leaders could not handle. And we've seen this already in the way he deals with the Jewish leaders, um, the way he deals with the Samaritan woman in chapter 4, the man at the pool just earlier in chapter 5, even Nicodemus in chapter 3, who was a Jew. Um, Jesus lays his life down for all these people. For the Samaritan woman, he does what is unpopular. It was a big no-no, first speaking to a woman and then speaking to someone from Samaria. Like These two together was just like, Jesus, what are you doing? This is like, um, you can't do this. And we live in a culture that's like a cancel-type culture, uh, which is even more pronounced than what it was back then, where if you are associating with the wrong person, talking with the wrong person, seem to love on the wrong person, it's like, well, what kind of person are you? This is what our culture promotes these days. It's this idea, if you're associating with the wrong sort of person, then you are also that kind of person. And Jesus is saying, we need to lay our life down for everyone, to love on everyone. And you can do that, and Jesus does this. He loves on the Samaritan woman without endorsing her lifestyle, without agreeing with what she's doing, but he loves on her. He is gentle and patient and kind in a way that was like shocking to the Jewish leaders. And shocking to his disciples even. Jesus loved this Samaritan woman. 
For the man at the pool, he goes to the one who is difficult. He lays his life down. The poorest of the poor, the most seemingly the most difficult person there who has a poor... You read that story. I mean, I read it. It's just like he's got a poor attitude, the man at the pool. Like he's not, he's not sort of engaging with Jesus. He's just complaining about and he's bitter. And you know these kind of people, difficult people, hard people, draining people, complaining people. And it's one, person, it's one thing to give a person like this time when, they, when you bump into them. It's like, oh, here they come. Better say hi. Better be a Christian. <laughs> Let's put a smile on my face and be kind. But Jesus doesn't just go and be kind when he bumps into the man in the pool. He goes to the man in the pool. He goes to where he is, seeks him out. And then seeks him out again afterwards in the temple. I mean, what a challenge that is, to lay your life down, lay your own desires and agenda down. And then for Nicodemus in chapter 3, Nicodemus, a man in authority who was seeking truth, and he, he doesn't belittle or dismiss Nicodemus, but he gives him time and attention. He sees him as a person who needs what the Samaritan woman needed, what the man in the pool needed. He sees that, that Nicodemus needed love and welcome. Laying your life down for people is not a, about laying your life down for a particular type of person, but it's for everyone. It's for those that rub you the wrong way. Jesus does it for all kinds of people. And for some of us, those who are living in the wrong lifestyle are the difficult ones to love and serve. For others, it's those in some place of authority, maybe even Christian authority. They're the ones that are hard to love and serve. For others, it's those with a bitter attitude. And Jesus says, lay your life down for all. Lay your life down for all. Submit yourselves to each other. And Jesus lays his life down ultimately, not just for these three examples, but for you and I. By submitting to the Father's will. By doing whatever the Father asks not what he thinks is best. He submits his will, his motivation for his own life to take up the Father's. And so the first challenge is this. When is the last time you submitted to the Father in this way? God, I give up my need to be successful, my need to be right, my need to get my own way, my need to be liked by others, my need to justify my situation. I lay it all down to take up your way. This is unexpected. This is the unexpected way of Jesus, and this is unexpected in our world today. We live in a world that says, don't lay your life down. Pick it up. Look after yourself. Look after yourself first. And and there's some merit in that. There is some merit in taking care of yourself, looking after your... I mean, I think it's a biblical idea to look after your body and to, to care for yourself, but not at the expense of others. In fact... Second to others. You know, there was a big study down out of the UK a few years ago um, on mental health and mental well-being. And they, and they discovered uh, out of this big study five key things for people to do to increase or help their mental well-being. And one of these things was simply giving to others, being generous, helping others, serving others, this idea. That actually the way for you to be happy and joyful and have a, uh, a life that you uh, would love and be happy with is actually to be generous and give and serve others, not to do that for yourself. 
that you'll experience more joy as you give. And it's no wonder that that's true, is it? Because that's the way of the kingdom. This is the way that Jesus demonstrates it. The way up is down. The way to joy is humility. The way to a rich life is generosity. The way up is down. And so Jesus demonstrates this idea by submitting himself to the Father. Jesus is demonstrating to us what the Father is ultimately like, that he is an other first God, that he is a God who is love, a generous God, a humble God, a God who loves first. And the second big idea is this, that Jesus, I mean, sorry, the second big idea is this, that God is always at work. The Father is always at work. In verse 17, we, wrote, we read this. Jesus responded, My Father is still working, and I am working also. The Father is always at work. No days off. Some of you know what that's like. You have bosses that want you to work every single day. You have kids that think you work every single day. No days off. And there's always more jobs to do. And the Father is always at work. He is this kind of God. Always at work. And I want to look at three quick ideas of how he's at work. He's at work, firstly, around you. I think it surprises some of us, and myself included, when we hear of people who are searching, um, people opening their Bibles for the first time, people wanting to come along to church, who have never been, about, never been a part of a faith community before. I mean, we've seen that more this year than we've ever seen it before. People engaging with us uh, as a church, coming along to Alpha, uh, joining into connect groups, coming along on a Sunday morning, um, connecting with, with us during the week that are just from not, not from faith backgrounds that we've never uh, had contact with before, but they're searching. God is at work in this community. He is at work amongst us and around us. And we all sometimes fall into the trap of thinking that no one really wants to know or think about God. But I think the opposite is true. I think everyone is looking for purpose and meaning and everyone is looking for approval. And the world promises these things in different ways but ultimately never delivers. And God puts these desires in people. He's designed us all to have these needs fulfilled. And as people really search for these things, for meaning, for purpose and approval, ultimately they discover Jesus. They discover the gospel and they discover that he is... uh, He approves of people. He accepts people. He loves people and gives them purpose. Jesus, when he was walking around, was constantly encountering the work the Father was already doing. Nicodemus, again, searching the Scriptures, trying to make sense of what he could could see and what he could understand. And he encounters Jesus, and Jesus cooperates with the work that the Father is already doing and joins in. Or the woman at the well, a void of approval and thinking about worship and faith and what the Jews are doing and what's happening on that mountain and this mountain. And Jesus joins in with what the Father is already doing. You know, around you in your world, in your life, the Father is already at work. Amongst your co-workers, amongst your family, amongst your friends, amongst those that you that have never stepped foot in a church or you think would never, never would, the Father is at work. And he's asking you, would you join in? Would you submit to me? And would you join in on that work? Would you see what I'm doing and engage in those conversations? 
love on people, lay your life down for them? Would you see what I'm doing? Would you open your eyes and see? He's at work around you and he's at work in you. He's wanting to show you his love. He's wanting to show, me, to show you his goodness and your, his glory. He's wanting to show you who he has made you to be and the purpose he's made you for. You know, as I read the New Testament, so much of it I see is about God's work um, in you rather than just for you. I think we live uh, in a time and we fall into this trap often of thinking, God, what can you do for me? And God wants to do things for us and, and, and often our prayers are centered around, what, God, what can you do for me? What can you do to change this situation? What can you do to change this relationship? What can you do to better this experience? Um, and so we pray things. God, change this. Keep this person safe. Heal that person. Help this situation. And these things aren't bad prayers and we should definitely pray them. But I think what the bigger work that God is interested in is in, is in, in us. God, give me more patience. Increase my faith and trust in you. Soften my heart to hear your voice. Give me a deeper understanding of your grace and your love. Give me more joy, peace, patience, self-control. I think so often what God's desire is is not just to change the situations around us and, and sometimes maybe never change the situation around us, but rather change us in the midst of the situations we find ourselves in. I mean, you see this in Paul's example all through the New Testament, don't you? Paul's in prison, he's in chains, and does he pray, God, would you release me from the chains? Well, you don't really see that, but what you do see, Ephesians 6 is an example, pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, and I, I am an ambassador in chains, pray that I might be bold enough to speak it as I should. So he's saying, pray for me. Don't pray that my chains will be gone, but pray for my boldness and my courage, that while I'm in chains, like this situation is not going to change, but while I'm in this situation, would you give me boldness and courage? Pray for that. So by all means, pray for situations to change around you, but first pray that God would do something in you and use your situation. Use the circumstances around you for his purpose and his goodness. He wants to do a work in you, not just for you. And the third thing we see is that he is at work through you. And we'll see this more next week as we look at um, Jesus feeding the 5,000. That the father is at work through the little boy with the fish and the loaves. He's at work through Philip, Andrew and the other disciples as they distribute when we submit to the Father, he works through us. Others see the glory of God as we allow God's work to be done through us. And through and in, often in the same situation. They're not separate, but they're together. You know, one of our core values is this, growing as we go. Growing as we go. That the Father wants to do a work through us and in us at the same time. So often we think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after I grow. I'm going to grow first. I'm going to study the scriptures. I'm going to grow, 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 grow. Oh, I still need to grow a bit more. Grow, 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 grow. Then I'll go. And the Father said, no, go, go, go. And as you go, you'll grow. As you go, 
as you participate, as you minister, as you pray for, as you share, as you're generous, as you do these things, you will grow. As you step out in faith, you will grow. We don't grow, then grow. We don't grow, then go. We grow as we go. And I think this is as simple as seeing the needs around you and doing something about it. This is what Jesus, this whole spiel that we've just been unpacking is is in relation to, is that Jesus saw the man at the pool, he saw the need and he did something about it. And then there's this whole kerfuffle about Jesus being one with the Father and doing things in the wrong time for the wrong people on the wrong days. And Jesus is saying, you're missing the point. Just see a need around you and meet that need. Love people. Be generous towards them. And as you do that, the Father will get the glory. God will do a work in you and others will see more of who Jesus is. And so as the team comes back up and as we worship And we're going to take communion in a few moments' time as well. I want you to be praying this prayer. God, what is a need I see around me? What can, how can I serve in a way that is unexpected? Love on someone that's unexpected. Can we stand and pray together? Lord Jesus, we give you praise and glory. that you are a God who is unexpected, that you came and you humbled yourself, you took on our form, you took our sin, you laid your life down for us. God, before we deserved it, before we asked for it, even when we abuse it and reject it sometimes, God, you still lay your life down for us. And God, I pray that we would be like you in that, that we would lay our lives down for each other, that we would lay our lives down for those in our community and in our workplaces around us. We would submit to the Father's will so that people can see you and see your glory and your goodness in ways they haven't before. God, we want to partner with you with what you're already at work doing. God, would you help us to see the needs and meet them? Help us to serve you in ways that brings glory to the Father. And God, now as we sing and respond to you, God, would you stir in us a thankfulness, a gratitude for how good and wonderful and gracious you are to us. God, we honour you so much and we thank you in Jesus' name.